my great joy to introduce to you the three musketeers hailing from the land of remote work. We have Marissa, career coach and queen of all. We have Jeff, our sassy SEO shaman. And we have Diego, who has spent his 20s building a community of remote working lunatics. Sure, these folks are going to be the people that will get you beach commute ready. And they'll do it in the most exciting way possible. So, happy listening. Welcome, everybody, to the Digital Nomad Experts podcast brought to you by Beach Commute. Today, we're going to talk about these seven questions that are searched by you 67,987 times per month. That's weird. Where where do we get these numbers? Why are we doing these numbers? Why is this even a topic? Well, we just kind of did a random search. We wanted to look in Google Trends, which tells you how often a specific phrase or topic is being searched by the entire web over a given period of time. And we noticed that Digital Nomad, the topic itself, is at an all-time high. As, as a matter of fact, in the, last, in the last six months, the topic Digital Nomad is searched three times more often. And since the beginning of the pandemic, it's been searched six times more often, 6x more often in the last two years alone. So we knew based on this data, holy shit, like this this area, this this new lifestyle that people are embracing as a result of largely going to a working remote type of lifestyle is absolutely exploding. So we've got all of these people who have been working from home since the beginning of the pandemic are now discovering, oh, I can go out and work anywhere in the world if I want to. I could go work on the moon if I had Wi-Fi reception. So all these people are asking so many questions about how do I become a digital nomad? Where do I go as a digital nomad? We get these questions asked in our inbox all the time, right? So we, we thought, all right, if the interest is so much higher, now than it was just six months ago, 3x more interest, then what specific things are people actually searching about being a digital nomad that we could answer? And we wanted to know how often are those particular things being searched. So what we did, because I'm a total SEO nerd, is I went into a keyword research tool and I figured out, I just typed in digital nomad and I filtered by just questions, And I figured out which topics are being searched the most often. And we figured, okay, let's figure out like what those topics are, what exactly the numbers are behind how many times they're being searched, and then just answer them on the fly. That way we can actually use some sort of data to figure out what it is that you have questions about. And we could could answer it rather than just question it or or, or just come up with a, a guess at what it is. Because, I mean, we've been in this so long, me, Diego, and... Marissa combined at least 15 years of being digital nomad. So we're going to ask different questions than you guys are going to ask. So we figured just go straight to the source and answer those questions. So what we're going to do is I'm going to go through each one of these seven questions that are asked the most often. I'm going to list out the total number of times it's searched per month. And then I'm just going to answer it really on the fly. I don't have a whole lot of research behind it, but we've done this for a long time. So we're going to be able to hopefully just nail each one of these questions and help you get to the answer that you're looking for. And if you have any other questions that you want to send us, remember, we're constantly doing these live Q&A sessions. 
So send in your questions and we'll do more of these episodes and we'll answer your specific question if it's not covered in this episode. Okay, cool. First, let's start with question number one. This one blew away all of the other questions by a landslide. All right, so the first question is, how do I make money online? Which is searched 45,250 times per month. This is five times more than the second most related topic. Fortunately, we've actually talked about this topic quite a bit and we actually have a podcast that's actually devoted to answering this specific question. So I'm gonna refer you back to that in the show notes. Also, I'm just gonna give you a heads up that we sell a course that specifically answers this question and helps you get to the point where you can make money online. All right, so I'm just gonna throw that out there. We are beachcommute.com backslash GRE. Our course helps you find ways to make money online and become a digital nomad. But let me just answer this one in summary because what you're here for is to get like a quick down and dirty version of your questions answered. There are three main buckets that we're gonna use to categorize how to make money online. And they're going to basically be on a spectrum of how much freedom you have versus how much risk you're going to assume with these different types of ways of making money, all right? So the three main buckets that I'm gonna use are entrepreneur, freelancer, and employee of a company, all right? And there are pros and cons of each one of these specific buckets. So let's start with, the most freedom, right? Which would be probably entrepreneur or freelancer. We'll just say freelancer, all right? Because a freelancer can pretty much work when and if they choose to do so based on their schedule. So a freelancer will choose any, will select contracts, will work for a given period of time, and then they're done. They do what they work for no organization. They just freelance, literally freelance out their time in exchange for money and it's usually done on a contract basis. And they get to pick and choose who they work with and they get to set their own prices. So the beauty of this is that they get to pretty much set their own schedule, work their own hours, and generally work wherever they want in the world that suits them. So that's a big pro of being a freelancer. A con of being a freelancer is that it is probably the least guaranteed money. You're actually, most of the freelancers we know, it's not always the case, but a lot of the freelancers we know, they have to try to drum up business all the time. They're constantly looking to figure out where's my source of income gonna be. So you have less income stability with being a freelancer in a lot of in a lot of cases. No paid holidays, no sick time, none of that stuff. So that's all coming from you. You gotta generate all of that. So a little bit of a trade-off there. Let's go to entrepreneur, which is kind of middle of the road, right? You're on one hand, you've got a lot of freedom because you're making the you're making the rules about your organization. You get to work when you want to work, you get to do as much or as little amount of work as you want to do, and you get to choose like where you're going to work from. The trade-off of that is a lot of entrepreneurs end up working a ton more hours than if they're working for a business. So entrepreneurs tend to be super, super busy. And also it can be a more of a cash insecure type of position because a lot of entrepreneurial type of ventures will fail depending on the venture. So it is still in the high risk area depending on what you're getting into, but it has that trade-off of a little bit more freedom, 
probably a little less than a freelancer because you're going to be working a little extra. Okay, last one is employee of a company. This is one that I can specialize in. I can tell you that that one has the least freedom because you are going to be working on the company, hours in the company time zone for the most part. Like you will, I was glued to North American hours. That's what I had to work. Therefore, I was not able to work from Asia. All right, so that puts you in the bucket of the least amount of freedom of movement and freedom of times of working. Right? I had to work normal North American business hours. So that removed a lot of my moving around options. However, I had a consistent pay every single month. I knew exactly what I was getting. No matter what I did, I had secured income. So those are the three main buckets. But from those, you can spill off into different types of passive income, selling courses, you know, working, working with friends in a, in a, in a group organization, all that kind of stuff. There are millions of different ways that you can make money online. Those are just the three main buckets. Okay. Second question that's asked the most often, what are digital nomad jobs? Search 9,500 times per month. Okay. Well, this one's really easy. We actually have a list of 91 jobs that we've run into as digital nomads from our friends. It's beachcommute.com backslash 91. Download that. You'll see all of the potential jobs that you could ever potentially think about doing. But for the sake of this episode, let's just go through the top five that you would run into at any given time as a digital nomad. Here are the top five jobs that we've seen digital nomads hold. And I'm going to give you their average salary as well. So the first one is content writer. We've seen content writers work for organizations. We've seen them work freelance. We've also seen them in that third bucket owning their own organizations. Now, if you were to be a remote content writer working for an organization, the average salary, according to the internets, would be $68,732. That is enough to get by as a digital nomad. For sure. We've seen a lot of people do it. A lot of times being a writer, they get to kind of create their own hours because they're very, very independent. It's a very independent style job, independent work kind of thing with little phone call collaboration time. So that's a good option. Number two is developer. So software developer, engineer, the average salary, if you're to work for an organization, again, as a developer, be $89,736 per year. This one has, there's a reason why being a developer is such a huge or or such a common career for digital nomads. For one, you have very, very few meetings. So you're not restricted to any particular time zone. You don't have huge internet requirements. It just makes your bandwidth so much lower and you can work independently all the time. A lot of the times developers don't need a whole lot of internet. The things that they do, they're going to upload. They don't need They really don't need the bandwidth like you would for a a ton of business meetings, like face-to-face Skype video meetings. Not a whole lot of drawbacks from that. There's a reason why you see them all over the place. Third one, graphic designer. So if you were to be a graphic designer for a company, you would earn an average of $68,500 per year. Again, we see this one very, very common. And the reason being, again, you're going to see kind of a theme. This is a very, very independent works type of job that requires few meetings. And a lot of times the graphic designers you meet will get the job that they need to do from their company. They go off and do it. And then they can have a meeting to talk about it, 
usually to the tune of uh, the most I've seen is once a day for a graphic designer. The higher you move up in an organization, you probably have to take a few more meetings, but for the most part, they work very independently. Fourth one, virtual assistant, entry-level job, really, really awesome. Virtual assistant is somebody that can basically just take tasks that need to be done. For example, you've got beachcommute.com. Say we need somebody to edit our podcast, right? We would need some sort of virtual assistant to edit it and publish it on WordPress and just get some of the things done that we do not have bandwidth to do. So a virtual assistant is kind of like a spillover assistant that helps with all of the things that you could possibly need to get done with like a startup or even an existing business that other people don't have time to do. And the beauty is you don't necessarily have to have a very specialized skill set to do this job. All right, so virtual assistant, good option for getting started as a digital nomad. Average salary, $58,068 per year. Last one, marketer. That's what I got into. Really, uh, this one's tough because the salary average for a remote marketer is 87705 But the problem with that is there are so many facets of marketing that you could get into that would have a huge range of different salaries, right? You could be a marketing assistant, which would be much, much lower. You could be a CMO like I was, which is the top position that you can get as a marketer, which is much, much higher. And then you can get somewhere like right in the middle as just like a marketing manager, a digital marketing manager, something like that, who makes probably around the 87,705 that I just listed. But the good part about that is because there's such a range of things you can do within the quote unquote umbrella of marketing is that you can pick anything of your interest. For me, it was search engine optimization. But if you're into something like doing marketing research or doing branding, that again is a completely different part of the brain, different facet of marketing, also requires a specialized skill set and is going to have a decent pay. And you can do it as a digital nomad, right? So all over the board with marketing, that that's one that I've got a lot of experience with and would highly recommend. Okay, so those are digital nomad jobs. Again, go to beachcommute.com backslash 91 if you want a list of a whole bunch of them. This one is, there were a whole bunch of like tangents or related searches to this that I just kind of grouped up into one bucket. This one is searched all the time. Also keep a heads up if you're not subscribed to our list already, please do so because we send out a remote job of the week once per week and you will get access to the latest remote jobs that we find. Okay, third one. How do you get a digital nomad visa? Searched 8,700 times per month. All right, this one is a trick question because there is no such thing as a digital nomad visa. Save for, I think maybe one or two countries are starting to work on getting a specialized visa. I think in the, I believe in the Schengen zone, they're, they're working on a specialized digital nomad visa, but this is all in its infancy. For the most part, when you are a digital nomad and you're traveling around the world, you're going to go by the same rules as everybody else who is traveling as a tourist going into that country. And what that means is depending on the country you're going to, they're going to have different visa rules. All right, so let me give you some examples. Going to, like if you're an American going to Colombia, you get your visa, which is a 90-day visa at the airport. 
right there. All you have to do is show them proof that you're leaving. They do want to see a return flight. They want to know where you're staying, and you have to prove that usually through a receipt, through Airbnb or something like that. And they will give you a visa stamp on your passport, and that qualifies as your visa for 90 days, right? Some places are as simple as that. Same thing with Mexico, but I believe you can get up to 180 days in Mexico. It varies completely based on where you're going. Also, if you overstay your visa, it's the penalties are going to be completely different depending on where you are as well. Like, for example, we went to Bolivia and the overstay passed 30 days is how long you got a visa for, for Bolivia. You get a 30-day visa. Every day over 30, you incur a $4 charge, right? So I overstayed by about 10 days and I owed $40. So to answer this question, there is no one answer to it. It is very, very specific to where you are going and where you're coming from. So what I want you to do is after leaving this podcast, if you have any questions about a visa, you need to look into, can you get a visa coming from where you're coming from? All right. You need to answer that question. Yes or no. Two, can you get a visa at the airport or do you need to apply for online before you get there? Because you don't want any surprises when you get there and all of a sudden, oh, I can't get a visa. All right. Three, you need to figure out how long is your visa good for and what will happen if you stay past the expiration of that visa? Very important. And then the last one is how much will your visa cost if it costs anything? Okay, so like when we went to Paraguay and Bolivia, I believe the visa cost was $160. And that covers you for 10 years. All these things you need to look into. Okay, not a great answer, but it's also not a great question either. So... Fair is fair. All right. Fourth question. Search 2,000 times per month. How do you become a digital nomad? All right. Well, that is not a question that you answer as one question amongst many others in a podcast. That is like three podcasts long. That is exactly why we exist as a company. That's why we offer our course. This everything that we do for our audience. However, just in... Let me just give you kind of like a brief rundown. The the very least I can do while still giving you information about how to become a digital nomad is basically you need to find some sort of income that you can do while traveling, all right? And we've talked about some different careers previously and other bullet points in this podcast that will allow you to do that. But basically, you just need two things. You need freedom of, of mobility, So you need to be able to travel and you don't have obligations that keep you grounded in one place 12 months a year. And two, you need some sort of income that you can bring in while you're traveling. And it doesn't really matter where that income comes from. Technically, you can be a digital nomad if you're getting income passively through real estate or if you're working for a company like I talked about or freelance doesn't really matter. You just need those two things, right? So freedom of mobility and some sort of income, which could be literally anything. That's everything that we talked about. If you want more information on that, check out our course, beachcommute.com backslash GRE. Okay. Next question. Searched 1,374 times. What is a digital nomad? Well, that's kind of changed throughout the years. What is a digital nomad? A digital nomad is basically 
somebody that works online and travels around the world. That's basically what we've been doing the last mm, 15 years combined, right? So to qualify, you have to be technically working online at some sort of capacity, earning money and traveling around the world. So a regular nomad would just be somebody that's traveled around the world, backpacking. Sometimes people will work and travel, they'll work at hostels, they'll work in exchange for accommodations, that kind of thing. That's the kind of the old school way of of being a nomad. And that's now evolved into a digital nomad, which are people that are able to work online and earn money while traveling at the same time. And what we're trying to do, what why why would we be trying to do that? What we're trying to do is we're trying to experience different countries and different cultures while earning money at the same time instead of just using the old school method of taking your two weeks of two, three weeks of paid vacation from a, a, a company and going and living in Cancun for a couple of weeks, right? What we really want to do is we want to immerse ourselves in other countries, understand the culture, get to see all the sites, try different food, meet new people while traveling so we can extend that period of time so that we're not just restricted to this two-month or this two-week mindset that most people use for their vacation every single year, right? So that's what a digital nomad is. It's, it's a lifestyle. It's meant, to, it's meant to allow us more time to explore the world while making money. Okay, next question is, oh, perfectly. 1,000 times per month, what is a digital nomad lifestyle? All right, this one, I'm surprised it's not searched more often, to be honest with you. This is a really, really good question. Digital nomad lifestyle means a lot of things to a lot of different people, but having lived with hundreds of digital nomads, I can kind of generalize what it means. And it's not what most people who aren't digital nomads think it is, right? So when I tell somebody that I'm a digital nomad, they're like, oh, so you go to the beach, you drink margaritas all day. I'm like, no, that's definitely not it. That's a vacation in Cancun. That is... That is not being a digital nomad. For the most part, being a digital nomad means this. You travel with a group, right? This group can be up to 25 people. It can be as few as two people. I've done both. That group will pick a specific location that they want to live. It could be a location that they've been to before, or it could be a brand new location. And generally, this location is a place that everybody wants to see. It's a place where people can work online, meaning the internet is strong enough. And generally, it's fairly safe where people aren't worried to to walk around the neighborhood. So people will pick a place. Then we will rent an Airbnb or we'll rent a couple of apartments, depending on how big the group. And we will literally live in a specific part of town that we've chosen together as a group. And as a group, for the most part, we have normal work weeks, right? So this is what people don't understand about a digital nomad lifestyle is it's not just vacationing all the time. No, it's people waking up to their routine. Some people waking up at 6 a.m. to do their workout, to do their meditation, and then on the computer by 8, 8.30 in the morning and working a normal work week. So for the most part, being a digital nomad means working eight to five, eight to six. Some people work until midnight on whatever projects it is that they're working on or or with the company that they're working for. Working a normal work week, but together, 
right? So you've got all these people with the same type of mindset working together where you've basically created this Monday through Friday office of all of your best friends that see things all the same way, who you get to then explore a new country with or the same country, depending on if you've been there already, in the afternoons and on the weekends, right? So what people don't usually understand is that people are working pretty much the same hours as they are, the stationary people who aren't digital nomads. But then what they're doing is they're exploring on the weekends for the most part in the, and in the afternoons where they can to get a feel for the country and to take weekend adventures and all that kind of stuff. So that's part of the reason why being a digital nomad usually results in staying somewhere a longer period of time, right? So you'll see some people travel a little bit faster, but for the most part, digital nomads will stay in a location for a good period of time because you got to work all week. And then during the weekends, you'll finally be able to, to get out and explore some of the sites, get out and see the restaurants, meet the locals, all that kind of stuff. Okay, last question on the list is, what are the cities with the lowest cost of living searched 163 times per month? Fortunately, we have a list of all of these cities for you. I've actually published it on the website. So let me run through that. I'm going to break this down into three segments. I'm going to break it down into Europe, Central America, South America, and I'm actually going to leave off Asia because this, it's already pretty well known. You can go to Thailand, you can go to, you can go to Bali, you can go to Vietnam and probably live cheaper than anywhere on the planet. That's like a really, really well known. And it's usually like Bali is usually a starting point for most people becoming a digital nomad. So we're going to leave that off and just assume you could start there for very, very cheap. So I'm going to throw some other ones at you that might be a little bit harder to find. So let's start with Europe. I'm going to go through five in each segment. I'm going to tell you the cost of living for each place. All right. So Europe, one of the five. Budapest. I was actually there last year. Really, really beautiful city and pretty cheap. So if you were to rent, according to numbio.com, if you were to rent an apartment in the city center, one bedroom be 512 US dollars per month. A three course meal for two would be $39.74. Not bad at all. Second on the list is Warsaw in Poland for city center rent one month, $779. Per month, three-course meal for two, $38.95. Again, pretty cheap. Third one, pretty much anywhere in Romania. I've been all over Romania, and I can say it's pretty cheap just about wherever you go. You're looking at 368 bucks per month for one bedroom in a city center. That is insanely cheap. Three-course meal for two, $36.59. I can, I can say for certain that that includes drinks because I have never paid for anything that expensive in Romania. Matter of fact, I couldn't pay for a meal more than 10 bucks in Romania. So very, very cheap. Next one we have on the list is gonna be blocked out. Unfortunately, Kiev was a big uh, stopping spot for digital nomads. So obviously, as all of our support here at beachcommute.com, and we hope that at some point in the future, we'll be able to share our worlds with Kiev again. Fifth, Sofia, you're looking at 440 bucks per month for an apartment. 
and thirty six sixty five for a three course meal for two. All right, so it's a little harder in Europe. You notice that a lot of this in, is in Eastern Europe. There's a reason for that. Western Europe is particularly expensive. You will burn through your savings there. I can vouch for that. Okay, let's move to Central San Juan in Nicaragua. You're looking at three hundred eighty three bucks for rent, thirty five bucks for a three course meal for two. Not bad. Number two, Antigua. Most digital nomads have been there. Somehow I haven't. I don't know why. You're looking at five hundred and four bucks a month for rent, thirty seven bucks for a three course meal. Bocas del Toro in Panama. I was just north of there, not actually in Bocas. You're looking at four hundred bucks per month for rent, six fifty for a dinner for one, pretty cheap there. Oh, and a buck twenty five for domestic beer, pretty good. Belize City, number four. It is two hundred seventy four bucks for monthly rent and fifty five bucks for a three course meal. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes food is a little bit more expensive than rent. Kind of an odd thing. Last one on the list I'm going to say is actually not very cheap at all. Santa Teresa, that place bled me dry a little bit. The numbers online say 488 bucks per month for rent and 651 for dinner for one. I'm going to say this is not up to date. Don't take this seriously. You will pay a lot more money than that. Okay, South America. Number one, Medellin. You're looking at 276 bucks per month. For monthly rent, I can confirm that is definitely true. And twenty bucks eighty three cents for a three course meal for two. That is also definitely very true. It is very hard to spend more than ten bucks on a meal in Medellin, even for the nicest places. I always recommend that tops on the list for people to travel to. Number two, La Paz in Bolivia. All three of us at Beach Commute have lived there. We can confirm it is very inexpensive. You're looking at three hundred fifty eight bucks per month for rent. And $21 for a three-course meal for two. The cheapest we have, aside from Medellin, almost tied in terms of cost of food. Third, Buenos Aires is $317 per month and about $30 for a three-course meal for two. Lima, $529 per month for rent, $21 for a three-course meal. And then fifth is Quito in Ecuador, uh, about 471 bucks per month and a $40 meal for three courses for two people. So most of these places, if you go to Latin America, your cost of living could be less than 1500 bucks per month. Not bad. Also, same thing with Asia. You could probably get away with 1500 bucks or less, maybe a thousand bucks or less US per month cost of living all in, all right? Europe, you're going to pay a little bit more. If you're in Western Europe, Eastern Europe, it's going to be a lot less expensive. Okay, that's it. That was searched, all of these things, searched 67,987 times per month. Again, digital nomad interest, 3 x in six months, 6 x in the last two years since the pandemic. This movement is coming. Send us any questions that you've got about this. If you got other stuff, again, we, we do a lot of podcasts like this. We roll through your questions that you send in through us. They're awesome. We love doing them blind. It's a ton of fun. Also, check out, like I mentioned, beachcommute.com backslash 91 for the 91 top digital nomad jobs. And then beachcommute.com backslash GRE for our Go Remote employment course. All right, thanks. We'll see you next time on the Digital Nomad Experts Podcast. This is Jeff signing off.